Well, last week, uh, for those of you who weren't here, we started a new series in our church called Living Church. And the title of this series really has two meanings. First of all, as Jeff showed us last week, the church is a living thing. The church is a living thing. I was, grew up in church, actually, and uh, in Sunday school I was taught this little rhyme. I bet you some of you uh, remember this as well. Here's the church. On top is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people, right? You remember that? That is so wrong. That is such an insufficient view of what the church is. I mean, when you start really reading about Jesus' vision for the church, when you read about the early disciples in Acts, I mean, that's not at all what they thought about with church. In fact, the rhyme would have gone better, something uh, like this. Here is a building. On top, there are steeples sometimes. Open the doors. The church is the people. The church is the people. That's what we're learning in this series, friends. If you're following on your notes, the church isn't a place. It's a people. Now, listen, certainly those people are called to gather together at a place, which is what we're doing right now, but a living church understands that the church isn't the place we're gathering right now. It's not this building. We're the church. We are the church. Now, the second meaning behind this title is that we want to be a church that is alive, not dead. Amen? We want to be a living church. And so in this series, we're going to be spending some time time learning the kind of things that are going to keep us living according to how God wants us to live and fulfill our mission and purpose in this world. And so last week, Jeff opened up the series by having us spend some time in Acts chapter 2, where we really see the genesis of the church. And not only did we get to see this group of people devoted to this thing called church, but they also devoted themselves to certain activities, right? In fact, let's remind ourselves of some of the things they devoted themselves to by reading Acts 2.42 out loud on our notes. I have it printed. It says... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice, again, if you're on your notes, that a living church devotes itself to certain practices. A living church devotes itself to certain practices. And really, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those practices that keep us living, that keep us alive in Christ. Those are included in verse 42, but there's others as well we read about in the New Testament. But this morning, I have the privilege of really uh, opening up the first one here in that verse in Acts 2.42, which says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To put it a little differently, I'm going to preach on preaching this morning. That's weird, huh? I've never preached on preaching before. I've sat in classes that have taught me uh, how to preach, but I've never preached on preaching. I wonder, maybe you've probably never heard a sermon on preaching. But here's the question I thought about all week. This was at the forefront of my mind. It's a significant question. Is what we're doing right now, you know, at our church, we spend a significant amount of time every Sunday, 35 to 45 minutes every week, doing the thing we're doing right now. Does it matter? Does it even matter? Is preaching important to be a living church? Is it a significant thing? Now, you may know this already, but many people today think it isn't. It isn't significant. In fact, one pastor just recently wrote, a pastor just recently wrote, the sermon is out. It is a dying art, an outmoded form of communication, an echo from an abandoned past. The theory goes... In a lot of places today, we live in a microwave 
fast-paced society, and the most that we can hope to keep somebody's attention is 15 to 20 minutes. And so, here's what's being taught. Like, as the church, we need to adjust to that. And we preach 15 to 20 minute, I don't even know what you'd call them, mini-messages, pep talks, that have a biblical principle. Is this right? Is that right? I don't think it's a bad question, but if it is right, here's what I would say. Is what we're doing wasting our time? I'd prefer not to waste our time, right? I did some math with this week, which is a really dangerous proposition for me. It's not how my brain works. And I came to this conclusion. If by God's grace I were allowed to continue to preach until I was the age of 65, about the same amount or maybe a little bit more the rest of my life, it would equal three to four years of my life doing what I'm doing right now, preparing and preaching and delivering a message. That's scary. I did some math for you as well. If you were a regular, you know, gatherer to, the, to church and you listened to messages throughout your life, I would say at the minimum, you would have spent 115 days when it's all said and done. Many people are going to, some people are going to be way more than that. But a minimum of 115 days doing what we're doing right now. Now listen, if it's a waste of time, let's stop, amen? I want my three to four years back. But if it's not, if it's not, if it's important to be a living church, I want to know about it. And so we're going to turn to Scripture and see, does it matter? And the way I want to do that is by asking two questions. Number one, what is the role of the preacher? Number two, what is the role of the church when it comes to preaching? So take your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're still getting used to where things are in your Bible, 2 Timothy's really almost near the back, sandwiched right in between 1 Timothy and Titus. We're at chapter 4, verse 1. For those of you who may not have brought your own Bible, we provide black Bibles there in the seat in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 833. If you don't own your own Bible, take that one home as your gift. But we're going to start by examining the role of a preacher, okay? So I'm preaching to myself, but just join me in this little conversation, would you? To set the context, of course, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to this young pastor by the name of Timothy. It's one of his protégés. In fact, in chapter 4, many believe these are Paul's last words ever written. So I want to pay attention to what he writes here. And I want you to notice what he writes to Pastor Timothy. Would you read verse 1 of chapter 4 out loud on your notes with me? It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Now as a preacher, I read that and I see two very serious things there. First of all, when Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, that's like a legal thing. He's basically, in our world, it would be like saying, testify under oath right now, before God. This isn't just my suggestion to you, Timothy. This is from Christ Himself. Preach the Word. This is a mandate from Christ. The second reason it's so serious, this charge. Do you notice what what Paul reminds Timothy? That one day, he is going to stand before that very same Christ and be judged. He is going to have to give an account of his life, including this thing called preaching. So is preaching serious? It is for me. And that raises a question, which is, what is it? I mean, what is preaching? Let's get a definition on the board. The word preaching comes from the Greek word kairuso, 
It's used even in the secular world, it was in these days, to describe, listen, a herald. Now, we don't use, have heralds anymore, but you've all seen movies, you know, where there's kings and queens, and if the king has a message he needs to deliver to the people, he sends a herald out into the town square, and the herald says, hear ye, hear ye, the message from the king. And Paul says to Timothy, you are a herald of a message from the king. You are a herald. Now, the herald didn't have any power in and of himself. But he represented the one for whom he was speaking. So if you're following then, to preach just means to publicly proclaim a message. To publicly proclaim a message. I might add, on behalf of someone else. A message on behalf of someone else. I was surprised this week to discover that that word is used 112 times in the New Testament. That just kind of shocked me. Think about that. Now, Jesus spent 30 years of his life maturing and growing and getting ready to enter into public ministry, right? And uh, then 40 days, he's tempted by Satan. And then he steps out onto the stage. And what's the very first thing we read Jesus did? Look at Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. So often, I think of Jesus as a teacher. Right? Like the crowd's gathered around. They're just hanging out. He's explaining things. He's telling parables. And he was a teacher. He was a fantastic teacher. And yet he was also a preacher. And there is a difference here. There were times when Jesus publicly proclaimed on behalf of the king, of his father, this is what God says. I speak on behalf of God. So central was preaching to his life and ministry. You know, when he calls the twelve and sends them out, he says, preach that the kingdom of heaven is near. I've arrived. Preach it. Proclaim it. I'm sending you. You go on behalf of me, your king. And then when Jesus leaves uh, the world, you know, is this whole thing with preaching done with? No. In Mark 16, 15, he gives this command to the, to the disciples. He says, go into all the world and what? Meet in church buildings. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Proclaim publicly the message as God's heralds. So that leads to a second question, which is what message? All right, I'm supposed to preach. So what's the message I'm supposed to preach? Well, what did Paul say? He says, preach the... Wow. We're going to try that again. <laughs> Preach the Word. That's right. Publicly proclaim this thing called the Word. Well, what's the Word? What's the message that we're preaching? If you're following on your notes, the Word is the Christian message. The message about Christ. That's just another way to say that. It's the Christian message of salvation found in Scripture. It's the Christian message of salvation found in Scripture. So listen, the role of a preacher is to publicly proclaim the message of salvation which we find in the Bible. Now, I'm just going to make an important point of clarity here. The Word, when you see that in, in Scripture, it doesn't just mean the Bible, right? It doesn't just mean the Bible, though the Bible is part of it. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word become flesh. He is who we proclaim. Now catch this though. We proclaim the Word, Jesus, because we find it in the Word, Scripture. The Word is what we preach. Both Jesus, the message of the Gospel, but the message is found where? 
It's found in the Word. And so that leads to a question for us today. Let's bring this to the 21st century. Do we really need to still preach the Bible today? Seriously? It's like so outdated. I mean, what's so special? What's so special about it? Well, Paul, in this passage, gives us two reasons why Timothy should preach the Word, and these reasons haven't changed. These reasons haven't changed. If you're falling on your notes, we preach the Word because of what it is and what it does. We're going to look at the verses just previous to verse 1 here. These are some of the most familiar probably in all of Scripture. Pastor Jeff actually spoke on these just a couple of months ago, so we're not going to go into tremendous detail here, but I want to remind ourselves why... It's still important that we preach the Bible in order to be a living church. Look at chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, I might add, he's speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're holding a Bible in your hands right now, can you do me a favor? I know you're going to all grumble. Just hold it up, would you? Keep it in place. Hold your Bible up. What do you believe about the book you're holding in your hand right now? What do you believe? You can put it down. What, what do you believe about it? What do we believe about it? Awesome. I'm glad you believe that. You know, i got to say, other than what you believe about Christ, that might be the most important question you can answer in your life because it's going to determine so much. It really is. It's going to determine so much. In the passage, Paul believes two things about the Bible. Two things the Bible is. First of all, he calls them the Holy Scriptures. Did you catch that? That word holy, we throw that around a lot at church. It just means something that has been set apart for a sacred use. Something that is unlike anything else. So, you know, we just sang together, God is holy. So what do we mean by that? We mean that God is unlike anyone or anything else. He is completely different from me. He is holy. And in a similar way, if you're following there, Paul says Scripture is holy. Scripture is holy. In other words, it is set apart as sacred. It has been set apart by God as sacred. It's different from every other book, even books written about the Bible. Because it has been specially set apart by God himself. Now, we're going to get into some deep stuff right now, so stick with me. But I think it's important. Because I'm sure you've heard the question that comes next, right? Which is, is this book, honestly, that was written thousands of years ago by all different kinds of people, should we seriously still consider this holy today? Or the way I hear it phrased in my generation and younger is, come on, is this really still relevant? Is this really still relevant to a 21st century world? You know that many people, both inside and outside the church, say no. No, it's no longer relevant. In fact, I hear it all the time. I heard it at one of the schools I went to. Look, the Bible is outdated. And so my role as a preacher is to make it relevant to our culture again. I need to help the Bible get with the times. The Bible needs an update. Friends, I used to think, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I've got to convince you. 
I've got to convince you about this thing. As if God needs my help. I no longer believe my job is to convince you today. Here's what I believe. My job as a preacher, Jeff's job, Brian, whoever. It's not to make the Bible relevant in the superficial sense we're talking about here. Now, obviously, one of my jobs is to make it applicable to our lives. If That's not what we're talking about with relevant in this case. We're talking about updating it to 21st century. No, my job is to show that the Bible is relevant to any culture at any time because it is God's timeless Word that has been set apart by God as holy. Amen? That's my role. Now, stick with me a little bit more here because I think this is the question that's being asked. What do people mean then? What do people mean then today when they say uh, that the Bible is not relevant? What do they mean when somebody says that? Here's what I think they really mean, if you get down to it. What they really mean is that they think the Bible should confirm should confirm what they believe in their given culture. Right? To be relevant, the Bible should confirm what I already believe or what my culture believes. But here's the problem with that. Think about this. Culture is always changing. Culture is always changing, right? I mean, even think about today right now. We are meeting in the Midwest church in the United States of America. Across the world, there are churches meeting in Africa and Asia and Europe. Their culture is totally different than our culture. Would you agree with that? Some things are better. Some things are worse. Some things in our culture have gotten better. Would you say that? I mean, we, we're at medical stuff is amazing nowadays. Some things, though, have gotten worse. I think everybody could probably agree from that. And so listen, this is important. What would you think of a book, if you were given a book, that affirmed every particular issue on every particular culture? It's like, this is the way to live, and it affirms everything we already believe. What would you think about that book? It's a dead giveaway. It's a dead giveaway that that is not a truth for all times. Instead, what would you think about a book that has been set apart? It's a pretty good definition of holy. By God himself that contains eternal wisdom no matter what culture, no matter what time we live in. What would you expect from that book? What would you expect? Would you expect that that book would butt heads with culture on certain issues? Yes or no? You better believe it will butt heads with certain issues or it wouldn't be relevant. So I've come to this conviction and a guy named John Dixon uh, actually, actually said this, uh, not this first part, but I can actually feel secure now about being seen as stupid in this world for actually believing this book, for actually believing it's holy. And the reason for this is this. The reason we can trust the Bible is because of its irrelevance to any particular culture. The reason we can trust the Bible, the reason we preach the Bible, listen, is because of its irrelevance to any particular culture. In other words, the Bible isn't the least bit interested in being relevant to our culture today. The Bible could care less about being relevant to our culture, which is exactly what makes it relevant. It's set apart. It's set apart from culture. Friends, I don't want a word. Do you? Do you want a word from God that already affirms what I think? Now, I want a word from God that is free to challenge me, free to challenge my culture, a word that is free and eternal. It's outside of myself. Whether or not my culture agrees with it, I want that word. 
I want a book that God has set apart for his people because he has our best interests at heart. He really does. I believe we have that book. And I believe that we will continue to preach it, whether our culture lines up with it or not. So now that I have thoroughly confused you, we will move on to the second thing the Bible is, which is that it is, Scripture is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. Or as some of your translations say, it is inspired by God. If you're following, it's inspired by God. Literally, that just means it was breathed out by God Himself. My logical mind, I want to figure out how that all worked, right? I mean, did God, like, take over Peter, and Peter became like a robot and wrote down exactly what God... No. He still used human personalities. I mean, you can see it if you read Scripture, right? You can see the different personalities God uses. But what this means is that the Bible is not just a collection of stories and fables and myths put together by human beings. It means it's not a human book at all. This is God's book. Breathed out by God. Inspired by God. This includes all the way from Genesis to what we saw in Acts 2.42 there described as the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? It's the teachings of James and John and Peter that we have recorded for us in much of the New Testament, right? You know, Jeff went into this in that message I was referring to, so I'm not going to talk about how it all worked, but I'm just going to ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe it's really inspired by God? The whole thing, not, it's not Peter's word, it's not John's word, it's not Paul's word, it's not Moses' word, that it's actually God's word. All of it. Some of you know Thomas Jefferson, uh, I think he was one of our presidents. <laughs> he decided that he could not believe that all of the Bible was God-breathed. And so what he did is he cut out parts that he just thought, this is too far-fetched. The virgin birth, gone. The miracles, gone. He like literally created his own Bible. Can we do that? If it's God's Word, that's a dangerous proposition. I mean, the Bible itself says we can't view it that way. And I would also just add, the power it has for helping us to live is gone when we become the determiner of what was inspired or not. Paul charged Timothy not to preach his opinions, not to preach even his opinions about the Word, but to preach the Word. Why? Because it's God's Word. It's God's Word. Second reason Paul charges Timothy to preach the Word is because of what it can do. Not just because of what it is, but because of what it can do. Notice the three things Paul mentions. First, if you're following, Scripture leads us to salvation in Christ. First and foremost, above all other things, Scripture leads us to salvation in Christ. Look again at verse 15. From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me be very careful to say, you are not saved by believing the Bible. You are not saved by knowing the Bible. You could have the whole thing memorized. It doesn't save you. You are only saved. You are only saved when you discover who the Bible is pointing to. And yet it's the Bible that reveals this miraculous story that we gather here to celebrate, isn't it? It's in the Bible that we learn that from the very beginning, God created us to be in intimate communion, relationship with the God of the universe. It's incredible. 
And yet it's also in the Bible that we learn that a problem happened called sin that now has eternally separated us from God. However, it's also in the Bible. It tells us that this God didn't stop pursuing his people. He wanted a relationship with us so bad that he had a plan. And from Genesis on, all the way up to the New Testament, he is putting his plan into place, and his plan was a person, and his name was Christ. He died on a cross and rose from the grave, and when we put our faith and trust in him, we have life. Where do we get that message? It's in the Bible. The Bible points us towards Christ. So don't ask me anymore what we're going to preach on. I want you to ask me, who are you going to preach on? And if my answer is anything less than Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Greeks, but he's the power and wisdom of God, then I don't have the right answer. Scriptures lead us to salvation in Christ. The second thing Scripture does is that Scripture is useful in our transformation process. We're all undergoing a transformation process into whose image? If you are a Christian, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And I have the word useful uh, quotes there because it says in verse 16, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. Now I could go into what each of those words mean, but let me just sum it up for you. You, you already know this, but the Bible, the Bible is good to show us right belief and right behavior. That's what those four, mean, four words mean, right? It shows us what we're to believe, what, what's right and wrong. Sometimes I need to be corrected on what I believe, and the Bible has the power to do that. But it also shows us how to behave. It's showing us how to be trained in righteousness, and that really leads to the third thing that Paul mentions there. Look at verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just got to say, the purpose of you being here the purpose of preaching the Word, the purpose of God's Word, period, is not just so that we could know more about God. It is to equip us. It's to equip us to do the work God has for us. Or if you're following, Scripture equips us to do the work of God. I've always thought of it this way, even from a young boy. I've always thought of it when I read like Psalm 119, which is just all about God's Word, His law, right? God gave us a guidebook for living. He gave us a guidebook for living. I would not go climb some random mountain unless I had a guidebook, right? Or a guide with me. And in a similar way, God doesn't expect us to navigate in this world on our own. He's given us a guidebook. He's given us the Holy Spirit and He's given us the Scriptures to equip us for the work He has for us. Friends, if that is what the Bible is and what the Bible does, then no wonder the role of a preacher is what? Preach the Word. Preach the word. In fact, he goes on to say in the rest of verse 2 of chapter 4, Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Is what we're doing here a big deal? Do you sense the urgency in Paul's charge to Timothy here? Do you? Don't wait around. It doesn't matter if people want to hear it or not. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ who will come to judge. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Friends, the role of a preacher is simple. We are to preach the Word. But did you know that you also have a role in preaching? 
In fact, let me point out four roles the church has when it comes to preaching. The first one's found in the very next verse. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. Let's read it out loud together. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And he finishes in verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You want to know what your role in preaching is? I'm serious. Number one, and first and foremost, is to demand, insist, whatever word you want to use, it is God's word that's being preached. Insist upon it. Demand it. It's God's word that's being preached. Not my word. Not Jeff's word. Not anybody else's word. But God's word needs to be preached. You know, Paul wrote about this to the church of Galatia. By the way, we're going to be doing a series in Galatians after this series. I'm really excited about But people had come in and started teaching something other than God's word. And look at what he writes to this church. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be put under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And I love how he finishes it. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Are there preachers who are preaching a different message than the one we have in this book? You better believe there is. Can I just tell you? It's a temptation. You want to know why? Because of what Paul just wrote there. Who of us doesn't want to please people? I can't think of any normal human being who would stand up here and not want you to leave this place and say, that was great. And yet, Paul warns Timothy, look, you can't just preach what people want to hear. He says that great line, what their itching ears want to hear, right? You can't just preach what people want to hear. Now, I don't know about you, but it's my natural tendency to drift towards people who are already affirming what I want to hear, right? I I get set in a belief, and so I'm going to find somebody who affirms I believe. And so I want to hear God loves me, and there's nothing I really need to do in my life right now to change that. In fact, that part about Scripture that I might be living in disobedience in, that's not relevant to me today. I want to hear that. You know what that's like? It's like being told by your doctor that you have to go on a strict diet and these foods are off limits and you notice on that list are some of your favorite foods. And so what do you do? You find another doctor, of course, who tells you that you can, (laughs) right? That you can eat those foods. We all do this sometimes. We all do. I could come up with example after example after example. Let me just give you one. I still hear this all the time today. That's why I'm going to use it. But I said it myself. You know the Bible is very clear. God's Word says, do not be yoked unequally with an unbeliever, right? And he explains why. I mean, if you don't have that most important relationship connection, uh, then the rest of the relationship is going to be in trouble. And yet, who of us in here, I did, I said, well, I'll be the exception evangelism dating yeah you know what I'm talking about exactly evangelism marriage evangelism business relationship 
It's in God's word, and yet it wasn't what my itching ears wanted to hear. So I found another doctor. Friends, the role of a living church, your role, listen, is to demand that nothing other than God's word is being preached, even if it is hard, even if it clashes with culture, even if it's not what our itching ears want to hear. You see, the minute God's word stops being preached is the minute we stop being a living church. It is not far from itching ears to walking away from the truth entirely. So number one, demand it. Number two, second role of the church when it comes to preaching is that we are to apply the word of God in our lives. Apply it. Simply put, do what it says. Do what it says. That's, that's when we become a living church. The verb, right? When we're doing what it says. James, as he can only say it, put it this way in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What? Do what it says. Simply put, it's not enough. It's not enough to come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Listening to the word of God being preached. If we're not actually doing what it says, then it has no power. It has no authority in our lives. I was thinking about this just two weeks ago. Brian preached on parents, right? Biblical parenting. And he gave us that great model of, you know, just... Invest your kids in the natural rhythms of the day. I thought, oh, that's great. Now, I could have sat here on that day and said, that's a great idea. I think God's speaking to me right now that I really need to start doing that. If I don't go home and actually start doing it, the Word of God has made no impact on my life. The preaching of God's Word made no impact. So do what it says. Number three, pray for those who preach. You want to know what your role is? Pray for those who preach. Perhaps you've read some of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Have you noticed that he is unashamed to ask? He is unashamed to ask that the churches pray for him. Pray that the message of the gospel will go out in boldness. Pray that people will be receptive to hear it. I get that. I know why he would ask for that. In fact, I'm just going to be honest with you as one of your preachers. Preaching is hard. I'm not talking like bring out your sympathy violins right now. I'm just telling you the truth. Paul, when he came to the church of Corinth, he says, I can't believe this. He said, I came preaching the message in weakness and fear. Paul. I mean, we often think of Paul as like the boldest human being ever. He preached in weakness and fear, and I totally get that. I totally get that. Preaching is draining Mentally, emotionally, and most of all, spiritually, because you know this, right? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood right now. We're at war with principalities and powers, and so there is going to be opposition to the preaching of God's Word. I can just share with you, I guarantee this is true for each of the other pastors who get up here, or who preach downstairs like Brian is, or Pastor Lee. The biggest fights our family has are on Saturday nights before I preach. What's going on there? I mean, we've become aware of it, but i got to tell you, when I first started doing it, I was just like, really, again? Right before? Well, of course. But really, that's not what makes preaching hard. It's not the act of preaching itself. You know what makes it so hard? It's the message. It's, this isn't an easy message, is it? Is the gospel an easy message? Is it easy to stand up in front of people and say, hey, you have a problem. It's called sin. And the only solution to that problem is Jesus Christ. 
If you don't receive the gift of salvation, you're going to be eternally separated from Him. Is that an easy message? That's foolishness, Paul said. That's foolishness to the world. I once heard someone say, look, if people aren't walking away from the message of the gospel saying like they did to Jesus, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? Then we're probably not preaching the message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is hard. I had the privilege of um, learning from an African-American uh, preacher, and he had this question and answer time once, and uh, we were asking him different questions. Somebody asked him, uh, you know, do you ever not get nervous anymore to preach? It's like, ah, oh, that's a great question. Surely, I mean, he's preached thousands of times. He's not nervous, and you know what he said? I'll never forget it. Son, if you're not a little bit nervous to preach the Word of God, then I'm a little bit nervous about what you're going to say. <laughs> I get it. So pray. Pray for us, and let me say, not just for us. Why do we pray for other churches? Why do we pray for them by name? Because this message is hard, and it needs to be out in our world. Why do we pray for missionaries in our church and beyond? Pray that they could proclaim the gospel boldly. Now, I've kind of tricked you a little bit because I saved this last one, because check this out. Last but not least, the role of the church is... Be a preacher yourself. Be a preacher yourself. You know, the public proclamation of God's word, it's not limited to this stage. It's not limited to a pulpit. It's not limited to a building. It's not even limited to the professionals. We are all called to be heralds of this message, right? We are called to publicly proclaim Christ crucified. It could be at a coffee table at Starbucks. It could be when you meet your neighbor at the mailbox. It could be uh, at lunch with your coworker. We are all heralds of this message. And can I just say, when this starts happening, this is when we're really living church. When we all see ourselves as called to be preachers, that's when we're living church. That's when we're living church. Friends, I started the message with the question, is what we're doing right now significant? Does it really matter in order to become a living church? And my answer to that at the end of all this is that while preaching isn't the totality of what we do right now, it's not what makes a church. The church was designed to flourish under God's word when it is taught and it is preached because it's holy, it's inspired, and it shows us how to live. So my closing question for us as a church is, will we devote ourselves to the preaching of God's word? Will we devote ourselves to the preaching of God's word? And I'll say it again, both when we gather here, but also when you leave this room. Preach the word. Preach the word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the message of salvation that Jesus Christ saves, that is contained in the scriptures. Let us to be a church, not only when we gather together here on Sunday morning that preaches, but let us be a church that lives church by preaching the word ourselves, no matter where we are, no matter who we're with. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed. For it is the power of God to save. Amen.